Gaming and BS Episode 09, Convention Game Prep. Episode 09 of Gaming NBS, Convention Game Prep. I'm one of your co-hosts, Sean. And I'm Brett. So thanks for joining us again. Appreciate it. Uh, Announcements. Um, One thing I wanted to point out before kicking into the girth of the episode is Friends of the Show. I've got a page up. Uh, Well, actually, it's more like a guest book. So if you uh, visit GamingNBS.com and you go to the... um, Shoot, I better probably look at the exact name of the page. Um, Guestbook, go figure. If you go there, leave us a comment there. Uh, If you don't want to comment on a particular episode and you just want to say, hey, uh, thanks, you guys suck, or uh, hey, uh, saw you at the grocery store yesterday, uh, whatever. You know, leave us a comment there. Um, Also have a link to our store for some swag if you're interested in getting some official gaming and BS swag. Um, That's hosted off-site, so it might take you to another page that doesn't necessarily look like our website. Um, We don't make a ton of money off that stuff. Honestly, if you're going to wear our stuff, great. Um, We're not looking to make huge bucks. But uh, just pointing out those couple things. And then um, any announcements on your end, Brett? Um, nothing too drastic. I just wanted I want to point out that Sean and I made it to a game hole this weekend. I, I was there all day Friday and well into the night. Thanks to the uh, Dead Gamer Society guys, Alex and some of the other crew from Game Hole, they kept me up way past my forty-one year old bedtime. <laughs> my schedule went to hell on me after that, and uh, I wasn't able to get back and get into some of the other fun stuff I wanted to. But God. DM was at a good time. It was so freaking I'm re- awesome. Really glad you had a good time. I'm glad you got the opportunity to show up. I know that, you know, without planning out far enough, sometimes it's hard to get to the place, whether you can, you know, can get a room or find yourself around. Or if you're not, you know, somebody else is already like me, I happen to have events planned and everything. So it's good that, you know, meeting some of those guys, yeah, they're definitely a riot. Well, the other thing, I mean, I had Ed Green was there, so was Frank Messner, and yep. I was in two two seminars with those two guys, and it was so bloody intimate. I mean, Ed and Ed's sitting there talking to us. We're just asking questions. It's just like the kitchen table type of conversation, and that's how he let it off. He's like, "Hey, this is a kitchen table discussion. We're just talking over the game table like we have beers, and the game's done. Let's talk." And there's like 15 of us tops in this room. I got my picture with him afterwards. He's super friendly. Signed stuff for people. Just a hoot, hell of a guy. Told great stories, um, great sense of humor. But it, the last time I saw him in a seminar was at Gen Con, and there was like 50 people, it felt like, just a ton of people. Half of us didn't get our questions answered and so forth, and done right there. You know, he, he got to everybody. And the same with Frank. Frank told some great stories about TSR back in the Gary days, kind of his thoughts, his side, his vision on things, and uh, his role, how he got into the job, how he felt he almost got fired a couple times for questioning the question the boss but it was just it was all good stuff and again frank um 
both Frank and Ed are, you know, they like to ramble. And it's the hard part, as Ed said, is shutting him up versus getting him to talk. But uh, they answered every question, and they were incredibly gracious. It was just awesome. Yeah. And and everywhere, everywhere I went, everyone was nice. It was super fun. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good crowd overall. I mean, it's hard to run into anybody that rubs you the wrong way, even if they're not staff, even just the participants. But gamers are always a good bunch. I mean, that's why I like just the hobby in general. But Absolutely. yeah, I, I had Merle Rasmussen. Um, so if you know Top Secret from the TSR days, it's an espionage RPG, one of the first ones uh, that was ever released. And Merle, uh, who resides in Iowa, came to the con and ran some Top Secret. And I played in one of his games and got him to sign my actual rule book. And I think it was literally the second RPG I had ever owned. I told him it was thir- I was like 13. I've got the box. And inside the box is my... F- first name last name my address um, and it's written in like 13 year old handwriting awesome yeah and that's so, so cool and then i got frank to sign my my red box and uh you know i got him. i neglected to bring my red box i've got two of them and i wanted to bring my original one i don't have the box anymore but i wanted to bring my original books that have my name in them and my little mm-hmm. you know 12 year old scrawl but i just forgot hopefully hopefully i can catch him next time but yeah I mean, it was just so cool. The, the game hole guys, I mean, Alex, is, I got to meet him in person finally. Um, found out one of the other guys, Andrew, I actually used to work with him back in a few jobs back. So that was cool to catch up with him on that stuff. Met Jason because my dark theater buddies and I did some advertising through them. Jason was the guy I worked with to do the ad work. Yep. Great dude. Everybody was so bloody friendly. Yeah. Everything was great. Yeah. It was good. just, it was so cool. If you did not go, please go next year. If you want to have a good time, it's, it's a fucking riot. It's a blast. Just go. It's so much fun. And it's just gaming, gaming, gaming. Yes. I mean, everybody was like, what are you running? What are you doing? No one said, you know, I don't know what to do or where are we going tonight or what's happening outside of this building. Every conversation I I was part of or overheard, what are you running? What are you playing? How good was that game? Oh, have you tried this game yet? This DM is really good. Oh, that group of players, they're great. It was all tabletop gaming, board games, RPGs, as absolutely as advertised by Alex. It was great. Yeah. So next year, if I'm not mistaken, they've already planned the next one. Game Hole Con 3 in 2015 is going to be on the weekend of November 6th and 7th and 8th. And that's, yep. the, that's the very, well, first weekend, full weekend. Um, so... And daylight savings time um, next year is the weekend before, so they don't hit the that extra hour for the game con. But um, I'm sure after they pack up today, they're going to start working on next year's con. Um, and they've already decided that they're going to be moving to a bigger space. Um, some of you might have listened to episode um, seven where I interviewed Alex. So Dave, oh, here, you and I, you know, I'm going to, I may get in trouble for saying this from Alex, but I'm going to do it anyway. I don't care um, because I think he'll let, want people to know. I, I believe that they can actually call themselves Wisconsin's largest tabletop gaming convention. That's cool. I mean, he, he, <clears throat> they, they broke 700 plus attendees. attendees? Yep. Awesome. Um, so it, it was, I it just, it was so awesome. I mean, just the, the people, the staff, everything worked like clockwork for me. I mean, everything was where it belonged. Everyone showed up when they were supposed to show up. It was really solid. Yeah. So, 700 people, that's cool. Yeah. So if you're interested in knowing anything about the convention, obviously you can email us. Obviously, 
Brett and I, no question, I'm a big fanboy. Brett's convinced too. That's good. Um, but GameholeCon.com is their um, website web address. Um, be on the lookout for next year's show. Um, so yeah, it's good stuff. And so uh, they're wrapping up great, today. It's a great way to get your last conflicts before winter sets in here in the Midwest. So yeah. do it. Yeah. Um, so going into random encounter, random encounter, I want to point out an email that we received from, uh, my buddy, Nick, who, uh, you've got to meet Nick actually face to face, um, at the con. At, yeah. I was at, uh, the Albion swords booth BSing with my buddy, Mike, uh, who was there selling swords and, and armor. And <clears throat> this guy walks up and goes, Hey, you're that Brett guy. I'm like, uh, Oh my God, it's Nick. I recognize the face immediately. From uh, different pictures and stuff online, like, oh my god, it's Nick. How you doing, man? And we uh, shot the breeze for you know ten, fifteen minutes. Super nice guy, very friendly. Great meeting him, and great, great meeting him in person. So Nick drops us an email, says, "Hey guys, enjoyed the interview with Alex and the format. Alex seems like a great guy. I wasn't surprised as he responded to an email I submitted to the GH uh, or Gamehole site is what he's referring to within minutes and was really accommodating." Uh, I wanted to get a table for a game Thursday night so I could run a game of D&D. He not only offered me to uh, offered to help find one, but also gave me his cell phone number and said to call when I arrived. Awesome, right? Uh, I really respect Alex and his team, not only for pulling a uh, pulling of a con, but also because they're doing it for all the right reasons. This will be my first game haul. Uh, that sounds that sounds wrong. It's his first game haul. Uh, looking for <laughs> looking forward to it and hope to see you there. So I did see Nick. I talked to him briefly, but uh, thanks for the email, Nick. Appreciate it. Hope you hope it was uh, good enough for you to come next year. And I I cannot recall where Nick is out of. I know he's from out of state, so I uh, traveled all the way to beautiful Madison um, this November to. Well, Nick had actually hit us both on Google Plus with you want to run some DCC or play. I think it was last night or something. Mm. I just I wasn't able to make it. It's out there on Google Plus. I'm like, damn. Yeah. So Nick, I'm ho- I'm hoping to catch this episode, man, because next year we're going to game together. We'll get the three of us together. We're going to sit down, get some other folks, and we'll do something, brother, because that'll yeah. be fun. Yeah, and I got to admit, I so Google Plus, I don't have my notifications turned on my phone. So uh, right, so because I I'd, I'd be getting them all day, and oh, I wish he would have kind of hit me just on a hangout, like SMS me through that, because that would have popped up. And so the whole weekend, I didn't really have time to actually launch Google Plus and then look through all my comments or, you know, and do that. So I, I totally missed that. Um, but I, I thought he might have seen me and mentioned it to me anyway. But thanks for the email, Nick. Hope to see you again. Let's keep in touch. Uh, we got a comment from Chad. I know Chad's a friend of the show. Um, any comments on episode... Um, zero eight, which was fresh blood into RPGs. So we were talking about getting new people into the hobby. So Chad wrote, so just finished listening, listening to episode eight. And again, awesome guys. I really do enjoy listening and look forward to every Tuesday. That said, I'd love to see Sean cold calling people trying to put together a game group. <laughs> I'd say go one step further. And once you convince three or four random people to play, you actually get together with them and run something. That would be hilarious. Other than that, keep it up and keep them coming. So it kind of scares me. We could get like the knife wielding maniac guy. Sure, dudes, I'll play a game with you. Oh Christ! Then 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 comes Saw one, two, and three, right? So uh. so what he's talking about to give some context to his comment was in the episode we actually talk about. Uh, I think there's a blip that we come up with actually cold calling new people that you know. 
hey. Yeah, because I said I said something like nobody walks down the street like please play in my game, you know. And we're like, yeah, we should just totally cold call people. Yeah. So I told him I said I, he doesn't, you know, Chad and I don't know each other. We haven't met. Uh, he knows what I post online, but he probably isn't aware that I worked in a job prior in like kind of a sales exec account exec role where I made probably 150 calls a week. And they Sean, were Sean has the skills to pay these bills. That's like, what we're saying. He could totally pull this off. I, I, it is a little outside <laughs> my comfort level. And I had it was, you know, pretty solid, but yeah, I think I, yeah, I'll probably call him. He'd be the first guy on my list. <laughs> awesome. All right. So thanks a lot for the email. Appreciate it. Uh, let's move into the main topic of discussion, which is convention game prep. Yes. You want to lead us into that one, Brett? Yeah. I, Sean and I were talking about before Game Hole, and he had some games set up. And honestly, uh, as I told Sean and Alex, a bunch of other guys, and they said, are you running anything this year? And I'm like, no, honestly, I just want to kind of soak up the whole atmosphere, figure out um, how things lay and whatever. And by, I'm running games next year, definitely at least like a Shadow Run or Star Frontiers or something. It'll be fun. But anyway, I started thinking about what it would take to get set up for that. How much time does it take? Because I keep thinking, oh, that's a year away. Plenty of time. And I thought, you know what, you dumbass? This is the same mindset you had for the Evercon, which is coming up in January of this year. And um, I'm running kind of a, a tournament, an old-school Osric-based uh, AD&D-style tournament where the guys are going to go through some adventure challenges, and I'll run them through a big adventure at the tail end of it, uh, all for students and stuff. And I'm like, you know what? I actually started planning that one last January, and I'm still not 100% done with it because I'm doing it in the bits and pieces of my spare time. And um, talking to Sean, I'm like, hey, what do you run at the con? He lays it out for me. And Sean, I mean, I don't, you didn't have 100% of all the prep work done that you'd wanted to get done. Oh, my God. But but you get to a point where you're like, how much do I have to do? God, I didn't spend 40 hours uh, or a month or something dumping time into it. So I thought, let's just kind of chat through some of the different components. What, you know, how do you pick the game? What do you want to do? What makes sense for the least amount of, um, if you're guys like you and I with day jobs and wives and other things to do, you know, how much prep work should you be doing or what can you do to help shortcut it yeah. if, if that's possible? Yeah, no, and it's a good topic. And yeah, you're right. I, I, yeah, we won't go into my con games necessarily. We can talk about that later. But yeah, I, I kind of sweated one game, and I certainly made it known to a lot of the people that I talked to, and they're they, they're like, ah, oh, you'll be fine. But, um, so what would you? So you're gonna you got a convention. It's in six months, three months. Maybe we should start out there, even though I'm kind of going out of order. How far out do you start planning a game? Well, for me, I, I'm going to look and say, well, what am I going to run at that con? And this is what I did for uh, Evercon the first couple of years. I just ran regular games. I said, well, I'm going to run, I like Call of Cthulhu and Pathfinder. I'm going to run those two things. I know them. I can run any of those standing on my head. I have a ton of impromptu adventures, old stuff I can pull out, anything, minimal prep work for me. Sure, I'll sign up and do one. Chad Knight had asked me, hey, do you want to, you know, same guy who, who wants you to do cold calling, <laughs> asked me if I would run a game. I said, sure, I'll do Pathfinder and Call of Cthulhu because I know them. Easy, minimal work for me. I've got a couple of ventures. I'll just pull them out off the shelf. I can run them. Bam. My biggest concern was the time. Am I going to have? And then when I was talking time, just time to run the game. You know, do I? I, I think I tend to think that two hour time slot seems to be a little short. Mm. So I kind of try to go from four hours just to make sure that I've got enough time to get people into the game, help with any mechanical issues a new player might have, and be able to kind of keep things going and whatnot. It feels like four hours seems better. I can oftentimes take a break in the middle of it, say, hey, guys, go get a drink, come back, we'll start up again, 
type of thing, depending on how it's going. But so I, I tended um, on those games <clears throat> was all be, I wanted to minimize my prep time. So I picked a system I knew like the back of my hand and I already have adventures for. So I'm like, whatever, tell me the time slot. I've got something I can fill it with, with Pathfinder call Cthulhu because I know those things really well. So I started prepping one of my con games. So I ran two at game hole and I have run Pathfinder uh, in the past with not even really sweating much uh, about it because I think it was the system I was the most familiar with. Um, I had run some Pathfinder society, pretty canned adventures, relatively short, you know, kind of a sequence of encounters. I had some maps drawn out and it's easy. I could set minis aside, you know, from, especially from a pre-made adventure. Um, I think, and I did that with dungeon crawl classics, which is pretty easy to run. I think as far as a rule set goes, um, but I ran that cause I hadn't run it before. And I had a couple, um, in, I ran it through a couple groups. Another one, I didn't do a ton of prior planning, um, which made me a little bit nervous and it's not, uh, so much that, I just want to be prepared enough to be able to handle whatever the group threw at me and not part get, of it from go ahead. I was going to say part of it for, for me though, is you made the, you made the, the pre-gens, right? They didn't whip up characters or come with their own, right? Right. So that's a good point too, is, is when you sit down and start talking about the game, you know, I do pre-gens and I have it all mapped out. And if it's going to be more of a story, um, not story game, but probably something where the chemistry needs to kind of jive versus, so, and I, I'll spell this out a little bit. So if I'm going to put them through a dungeon crawl, I'm not really, I don't really care what the relationship is between the party members necessarily. And, you could give like a two, you could give a two line blurb. You're friends with this guy. You know him from this time. You like him. You don't like him. That's a sentence as opposed to a call of Cthulhu game where you want to make sure everybody who's on this boat or at this haunted house all has a reason to be there. Right. Versus we're just adventurers. You want something a little more in depth. I can see that. Yeah. No, it's a a short, the quick and dirty. I get it. Yep. Um, so yeah, I did the, I did pre-generated ones and for dungeon crawl classics, not so much. Didn't have to flesh them out too much. You know, you're, you're a class, here's your weapons, here's your strength, uh, all your stats, whatever. And then for I did Savage Worlds Ghostbusters, which is kind of a fast and loose system itself, not a lot of crunch, but I did a lot of more background, like this is how you all know each other, and this is why you're kind of tied together, and this is how you may want to like embrace the character of, you know, the essence of the character. Well, I'll tell you what, though, is <clears throat> the reason I brought that up is because for me, I pre-gen the characters, and I know... Pathfinder Society and other organized play. It's a different setup, right? So throw that out. We're not talking about that at all. But for me, by pre-generating the characters, I know what's on the sheet. Mm. If someone has a question about something, I understand it. And by that alone, <clears throat> if I want to ad hoc a challenge or I want to make a ad hoc ruling or anything off the fly improv, I built them. I built the adventure. I know everything. So for me, even if you don't have as much prep time, you know those, you know those Ghostbusters that you built better than the players do. So as long as they start getting into stuff, you could look at go, Hey Sally, Hey Brett. Um, remember uh, paragraph two. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Ooh, that's good stuff. You know, I mean, you've got enough, you can poke the player character and get them rolling the where you want it to. And you know enough of it. So that way, if the rest of it isn't hundred percent perfect, it probably doesn't matter 
from a preparation perspective because you know the adventure well enough and you know the characters like the back of your hand. Yeah. So, yeah, I think the game system, I don't meet too many people that run a game at a con and not know the game system. That would except, be, I would think that's for suicide. Goes, <laughs> except for you. <laughs> I mean, I've never run Savage Worlds, but it's not, a, it's not a difficult system either. But if somebody said, hey, I've never run Hero and I'm going to run Hero, I think you're out of your mind. Yeah, I'm going to run Arya, Canticle of the Monomyth. I have that on my on my shelf. You'd be like, "What? What? Yeah. <laughs> Never read it before." I'll just I'll just parse it. I'll figure it out on the fly. <laughs> mm, the fuck you will. No, that's a bad bad idea. I mean, I think I've heard stories about that where people are like, "Oh, I've never really run this game before," and you just I'm like, "Did, did you get up and leave?" <laughs> you know, I mean, I don't, how how could you as a game master not want to know the system if for no other reason than how can you enjoy it if you don't know it? Yeah. So I think that's kind of a foregone conclusion, but. To take it one step further, though, <clears throat> is the comfort level you have of said system. I have, I just, I cracked and I bought the two 5e books that are out, the PHP and the Monster Manual at uh, Gamehole. I would not have said, well, I just bought these. I could totally run a 5e game tomorrow. No, I want to give the rules at least one solid read through, if not two, really make sure I get it and then let people know, hey, I want to try this thing. It's going to be new for me. Um, let's work through, Let's work through this together. Um, and bill it appropriately as opposed to saying I'm a 5e master because that's not possible. Well, and, lying. and the one thing too is knowing the system, you're gonna, I think you're gonna get this would be a whole nother topic about actually running the game at a con because I think that could be an episode too. But even going into the prep side, my, I have this kind of in the back of my brain you're going to have certain people show up to your game. They're going to have the people that may have been sucked in by the description, right? The soft fluff, mm-hmm. or they like that system and they know that system and they want to play that system. You may get the person that's the complete opposite. Who's never played the system, but they want to try it. So what happens is you get, and then you might get somebody that's like never played before, but it just sounds kind of cool. And that kind of goes back to the description of the game you're running. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. Now you go and you talk about, um, so you get those people at the table, you're going to have to kind of accommodate those people. Like you're going to have to go, Oh, this, this person knows the system really well. And if you don't run it, at least I would say competently, then you risk having this person kind of, I don't want to say lose faith in you, but they'll be maybe well, they may be more skeptical. Trust. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> there's table trust, right? You've got to trust that the game master is not, Sometimes you can tell Brett's making this shit up and it doesn't matter because we're all having a good time. That's great because guess what? The stuff he's made up isn't everything all the time. He's using the core of the system. He he uses armor class, uses hit points. I mean, some, the basics are all there. <clears throat> Maybe we use percentiles instead of this thing for this point, but you know what? It totally made sense. So I think you have to have a certain level of mastery of the system so that you're com- comfortable Everyone else will be comfortable and you'll appear competent. <laughs> right. And, and the players will be like, look, I trust Sean. He's got this thing. That's cool. Yeah, he's not the Savage Worlds master. He's not giving seminars on how to run a better SW game. But, you know, no, I had a good time. It was great. It was hard rules where we needed it and squishy where we wanted it. It all worked out. So I think that helps. Yeah. And with so going on to like pre-published and homebrew, you know, yeah. I tip, because I've done Pathfinder Society, I mean, I think the pre, and the prep for that is can be quicker. I think like my homebrew, um, even though I'm I was going to run a four hour game, which was what it ended up being, um, the time 
that you put into it could be pretty consuming whether, you know, if I took a module off the shelf and read through it and went, oh, okay, do I need miniatures? Probably not. I could just read it, highlight some stuff. And, and that may be the extent of it. Now, if I go homebrew, you know, what am I going to need? Character sheet. Well, you're not all going to need character sheets, granted, but maybe I need to do maps myself. I have to come up with a plot and a scenario and how it all ties together. And I got to come up with stats for the baddies and all this stuff. Um, so consider that when, when doing it. I know you're doing like a tournament, which has got to be more labor intensive. It can be. What I did was actually went through a buddy of mine, uh, Alpha, one of my, uh, my good gamer buddies, said, hey, I have an old dungeon magazine that has the Tournament of Champions from at first at AD&D. We went through and there's like this series of adventure challenges. I'm like, these are perfect. I'll, I'll just use them. Use them as is. Hack a couple things around and so forth. So it's not exactly as published, but it's just tweaked. It gives me a really solid starting point. So for me, even if I have a homebrew world that I want to use or whatever it is, to me... <clears throat> You want to stay as close to the standard for the rule set or the system as possible. I mean, if you don't want to have half-orcs in your homebrew world, fine. You pre-gen the characters, and there are no half-orcs at the table. No one's going to question that. Right. If they if that happens to be a main issue or selling point or starting point for the adventure, you have to lay out somehow that, hey, guess what? There's no half-orcs in Sean and Brett's amazing world of, you know, kerfuffleness. Okay, kerfuffleness has no half-orcs. Got it. Moving on. But otherwise, for me, I, I look at the pre-published stuff <clears throat> and get an idea. Um, like, hey, I could totally run this. Like when I ran Call of Cthulhu the last two times at a con, I ran two John Wick adventures that were based on his, um, the King in Yellow stuff he did. Digging for a Dead God. And I can't remember the name of the last one. It's the uh, space one where it's in the far future. And it's all about the yellow sign and going insane and dying. as any good Call of Cthulhu game is, but it was a lot of fun. It had had the handouts pre-generated. I could print them out, hand them out. It was also, I, I know both those adventures really, really well. I've run them a couple times. So it was a lot of fun to be able to pull it off. Yeah. So <clears throat> I tweaked them, yeah, on the fly because I found out, hey, the players want to go this direction. There seems to be a gap in this in this plot thread here, but uh, whatever, I'll just tack it in. But I had something to start with as opposed to having to sit down and write some kind of crazy really detailed world background to hand to people and then come back a half hour after they've read it all and digested it. Cause I don't want to be that guy. Right. You know. So that said though, I mean, um, what's his name? One of the guys from dead gamers ran, um, what was that? Um, Sesame street. Yeah. So Michael, game. <laughs> Michael Brown, who is part of the dead gamer society. Um, if you can get into a game and he does go to quite a few cons, he does Gary con game hole con and Nexus for sure. And then uh, they have done Gen Con as well. And I think they have in the past been to origins, but I, I think they're trimming it down to like three, the big three in, in Wisconsin anyway, um, which is the ones I mentioned, but he does quite the production. I usually played in one of his games at, uh, at one of those cons and he, so this goes into kind of the production piece of it. And I told him to, I'm like, you are a lot of production. And he's like, oh yeah, no question. And what he does, uh, so this past Gary Khan, and some of you who may listen to this may have actually experienced one of his games as well. That's how I got to know him. So this past Gary Khan, he did Nightmare on Sesame Street. And it was Call Cthulhu D20. And so somebody would say, well, why is he running D20 Call of Cthulhu? First of all, Dead Gamer Societies, they only run... Un- out of print games. Out of print games, that's right. 
They do run Call of Cthulhu older versions, but they are on the fence about whether that's out of print because the game hasn't really changed as much over from like 5th, 6th, 7th. But they go with it. They're flexible. But anyways, he ran it. And when he ran it, so when he runs it, he's uh, dressed up as Bob in like 70s, 70s clothing, big collars, goofy prints, polyester pants. Um, he has leisure shoes, uh, patent leather, white shoes. <laughs> he has like a wig on and he plays the G- he's the GM and he's he's Bob. You po- you post the picture. Doesn't he have like the seventies Sesame Street playset? So he on has the table. He has the Fisher Price. <clears throat> there we go. Sesame Street plastic. Um, like it's the building and it folds out. There's a hinge. Some of you that grew up, that's I don't know. Do you were, yeah, okay. So I had one. I saw the picture. I'm like, shit. That's my childhood right yeah. there. I had that thing. Yeah. So it folds out and it's got the little round pieces for the Muppets, and then. Um, so he has that, and then he bought hand puppets of all the char- who would be the player characters. So a hand puppet for Kurt, Ernie, Bert, the Count, Cookie Monster, Grover. Wow. Uh, that's it. And so everybody plays that. And then the character sheets are printed, but they're like printed uh you know, on lined paper, but lined paper with like the big thick da- dashes, right? The thick lines, and then the dash in the middle, right? As if you were learning how to write. Yes. And the font is done in different colors, like blue and red. And the boxes are almost as if they were drawn out boxes. And everything looks like it was written by hand, almost in crayon. Awesome. And so, uh, and he puts that on like stock uh, paper, cardboard stock paper. And then um, he also has the Sesame Street album cover or album. And so he puts that up when he starts setting up a stuff, which looks like this big oversized GM screen because it's the size of an album and it folds out. So it says like uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine or something like that. And then it has, so it's, Yeah. And then he awesome. ha- yeah, he has that and then the little meeples. Um, and I won't give away his plot, but obviously it's Call of Cthulhu. Um, and then he's also done Kistastrophe, which he's no- run quite a bit. Um, and, and he did a Love Boat one too, didn't he? He did the Love Boat one, he did Kistastrophe, and he did the Nightmare on Sesame Street um, at, at this recent game hole. Yeah. Well, what we're, I mean, that goes right into the whole, I mean, the concept, I mean, let's see. When you go to a con game and you're like, hey, look, I want to play. Um, I take it that if you come there, you want to be able to walk away and have a really, really kick-ass story to tell your friends. I had a lot of fun. I was super entertained. Both of the uh, Call of Cthulhu games I ran, I had a soundtrack that John Wick had produced for him. I played those. Um, the handouts, I whispered in people's ears. I wandered around the table kind of jumped and, you know, yelled and screamed and did, you know, just physically talking to people, trying to make it as exciting and amped up as I could. And because that you, I wanted to be an entertainment thing. I really wanted, I, I don't have the skills or the, or the means to do the, the awesome production pieces that, that Michael did. But to me, that's really cool. That's a con game. That's going to be a lot of fun. Not that playing a standard Brett ran me through a dungeon crawl classic funnel, isn't also fun. Right. But I feel that if I'm running the game, I really want to do something to take it up 
a notch, whether that notch works or even if it's, I don't know, you know, how high that is or how low or whatever you want to call it. But I want to do something a little bit different than um, you might be used to or something along those lines. I really want to kind of go for broke so that you have a really, really good time and talk about it. I want to be good. I want you to walk away and say, I'm really glad I came to your game, Brett, because it was a lot of fun. Yeah. So the one, you know, th- there's another thing too. So with the production piece, you could set music like you mentioned, like you had a soundtrack. Uh, handouts are, you know, involved. You could, th- you could theme your game even more than just running the game. So for an example, a lot of the Savage Worlds people already know this, but the system is SW, and then you have all the different settings. And depending on what setting you you run, you can use different types of things for like bennies. And what bennies are just these tokens that allow you to the players to re-roll rolls and they spend them and earn them uh, throughout the game. And so let's say I'm playing like you know a war, uh, uh, Savage Worlds, and the settings like World War II or maybe some crime game. You know, your so your tokens for benef- bennies. Maybe you use actual bullets, right? Um, or if you, in my case, I had like chips with the Ghostbusters logo on them. Um, if you, when you run in Savage Worlds, you have a deck of cards to do initiative. You could have the deck of cards focused in on whatever theme you're running. So you could have a Ghostbusters deck of cards, or you could have like an old Wild West deck of cards. If you're, I think that's that. a really good idea. It's, it's simple stuff you yeah. can do to kind of bring the theme home because, especially if you're doing it in a one-off, right? I don't have the Ghostbusters toys. I don't have this thing, that thing, or whatever. But I can get the logo as a watermark on all my character sheets. I can print out uh, a poster. I could bring. I can do something to bring it there, and just as it's that visual reminder of what you're playing. Not the. Not. I mean, you know, you're playing a role playing game. You got character sheets and dice, but a visual reminder of the current of the specific setting, the feel, the evocative nature of the, all those visual cues is really cool. And again, it's not – some people don't give a shit about that stuff and they're at a con to play Pathfinder by the damn rules. I want to play AD&D, First Ed. I want to play Rollmaster this way. If it's not straight Call of Cthulhu by the book, I don't want to play it. And that, I guess that's fine. But I think um, it may, maybe it's just the crowd I run with. But most of the guys I know that go to cons, if they don't have something a little more amped up um, – or even like I said, the small visual cues, something as simple as my bennies all had the Deadlands type of bennies, or they all had, like in your case, the uh, Ghostbuster style bennies. It's a small thing. Oh, that's really cool. That fits this game. Neat. That instant alone helps to remind and bring people to that place. And it's something that they carry away from the game saying, yeah, that Sean guy had a really cool game. Even had the bennies were all done up like Ghostbuster bennies. That was kind of cool. And that's that's a cool thing. And again, I want you to walk away from my game saying, I had a really good time in that game. That guy was awesome. I, If someone were to say, were his rules exactly by the book or how, how strict was he or whatever the case is, I I don't know. I kind of, I guess if that would be your question, I don't, I don't want to play with you um, <laughs> type of thing. But I would rather have you walk away and say, that was fun. I spent a lot of money to get to and into this con and to play this game. And I really wanted to be entertained cause, and, and have fun because that's why, that's why I game, you know, is to have a good time. So... As long as you're having fun with it and you can help keep people stay in the moment and in the world, I think it's a great thing. Yeah. Yeah. And that could, I mean, it, it could be just even how you dress up. I mean, if you, if you want to go into cosplay or something, 
great. If you don't, you know, maybe you don't have to go that route. I mean, so you could put in as much or little as you want into prepping for the game, I guess is what we're trying to say. One other thing that you want to consider too is the the pacing. So I think we hinted at it a little bit. So you're going to run a two-hour game, a four-hour game, or a six-hour game. And some cons, you know, they're set. Maybe there's flexibility in that. One thing you got to keep in mind is you're not, you don't know how much dialogue is going to occur in the game between the players. And so when I talk about pacing, it's like, okay, you know, how many encounters do I have? How many plot points? What am I going to put in front of the players to take advantage of? And then how long is it going to take them to take advantage of those things? Um, and how, are you going to be able to manage players that may take longer to do A and shorter to do B and C, but they still have to get to D? Or what? how are you going to do that, right? Yeah, absolutely, because you don't have the luxury to say, boy, you know, Hey, Sean, you guys and the rest of the crew didn't get all the way through it tonight. You know, you took a little bit longer, but that's okay. We'll get to back together next week, and you'll see what's coming. This is it. It's, just, it's an absolute one-shot. You need to approach it as such. It has to get done in one way, shape, or form. Now it's always conceivable that you do your best. The players <coughs> excuse me, do their best through no fault of anybody. You don't get to the end of the adventure. Time runs up. People got to go. They got to go to the next game. It happens. Your table's, hey, I'm here for the table, dude. Back it up. I get it. But the main thing to do is that... I don't want to say keep the plot simple, but I want to say keep it malleable, where if you've got four major points, I'm just picking the number four out of my pocket like I know how many points you want. You know, So you got four main points before you get to the big, uh, big fight at the end of the big reveal. <clears throat> you want to be able to come through and say, you know what? They totally skipped number two. That's okay. I'm going to double up on three and give them both for some reason. I want to keep this thing rolling. And it doesn't mean, again, that you can't have them fail. They could, you could say, you know what, you missed it. And that's why you died in the end. That's fine too. But at least, um, I guess you want to be able to make sure that people have decent chances. And that the other piece with pacing is that you stop excessive, whatever, right? If somebody's trying to drag a fight on forever by overthinking over metagaming, say, guys, we got to roll this along limited time. here. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. We got to get this fight done. Let's go. Um, or maybe not exactly those words, but something to keep it cooking. Because, you know, guys, when you get in a tactical game like a Pathfinder or a, or a D&D type of thing, sometimes we'll sit back and want to talk about it for five, ten minutes. You, that's a long time. You got five, six fights in an hour, and then every combat round they want to take a bunch of time to look at it, then it just it takes too long. Yeah. So you want to try to keep keep them moving. And one way is, you know, the monsters break and flee. I got to chase him. Good. You chase him in the next encounter. <laughs> Fine. People die. You drop hit points. You let people hit when they shouldn't hit. You do different things to keep it moving. You know, you, there's a little bit of fudging, if you will, in that, or you're rolling open on the table, however it is you do it, but do your best to keep them moving forward. And don't just let them sit there stymied in a room, but they can't figure out with nothing to do for an hour and a half. I've talked to people who played those games where they sat there and the GM was of absolutely no help. It's a four hour game session. And the guy said, you know, we spent half the game sitting in a room trying to find something, and we couldn't find anything. And the game master's like, well, sorry, you just failed to roll. There's nothing you can do about it. Yeah. What? what? <laughs> you know, no one has any fun. Yeah, it's by the book, but no one has any fun with that. Yeah, if you get it. No one I know. That goes to the rule that if you have to have something that propels the plot forward, don't make the characters roll for it. Just give it to them. Yep. Yeah. You find this. Great. 
You know, off we go. Off we go, right? Um, yeah, that's what I had to do with one, right? As, and I knew, I knew. I'm like, they're never going to get through this whole thing. They're never going to get to the end. Um, and you want to be able to get them to a kind of a resolution at the end, whether it's the combat with the big bad. But I, I had to just, you know, you walk into a room and you disappear. You know, and then they'll futz around with that a little bit. But it's, you're taking time to futz around with the, oh, I don't know what I should do. I try to throw a rope in there. Does it disappear? I throw a coin in there. Does it disappear? Okay, then one party member gets, you know, impatient and they just walk in and they disappear. Eventually, you're going to get everybody to disappear and to the point you need them. Yep. And it'll work out. You just kind of, so they throw up their hands and go, well, whatever it takes. And then that happens. But so you're going to have to be able to manage, you know, oh, they need to go to, encounter three to get the clue to get to encounter four. Well, guess what? You may not have the time to get to counter encounter one, two, three, and four. So you might as well be able to be flexible where you can get the clue in encounter three, or I'm sorry, encounter two, and just skip to four. The other thing that goes with that too, is when you talk about <clears throat> props, handouts, minis, maps, or whatever it is, if you're going to have printouts, look at them and make sure that they're not horribly convoluted. Right, I mean, some of them. <clears throat> there's the Armitage Files, which is by uh, Robin Laws for um, Trail of Cthulhu mm-hmm. by Pelgrain. Some of the handouts are really detailed, incredibly intricate. They just they're beautiful, sexy handouts. However, I would never use them in, from Brett's opinion, in a con game without a lot of time to play it because they're really intense looking handouts. There's just there's so much to pull from and and twist and glean and hold up to the light and try to do all this crazy stuff. You want it almost to be a face value thing. Mm. Or a quick die roll or two shows you what the hidden X is on said handout. And if you've got minis that you brought for the game, you know, the other thing I would say is make sure that they're representative of the characters and the creatures that you've already planned. It helps, right? You might not have um, a horde of goblins. All you have are kobold minis for some dumbass reason. That's all I happen to have with me are kobolds. Fine. Make them kobolds. It's a simple thing, but without having to say these five kobolds are actually bugbears and these uh, four ogres are actually troll. It's not that big a deal. And for me, it, it may be a little limiting because I don't have as many minis as my buddies Lenny and some other guys, but whatever. I just I use what I have so that I can accurately represent something. Again, I'm using a visual cue for you. Want, I want to make it as accurate to what you're actually going to be facing as, as possible. And again, have them ready. Roll with it. If somebody looks at it and they... The correct answer, perhaps in your head, is Sean looks at it and Sean says, "I think this is what it is." Blah blah blah, and and the next guy says, "What does my character think of this?" My character is smarter than me. Without going into that whole debate, you may at that point say, "Give me an intelligence roll." Done. Your character says it's really this thing. Awesome, great, we're off. You know, some of your personal druthers on how somebody should be playing their role playing game, you're going to have to set to the side. And let them just go with it. Somebody's, they're going to say their cues, right? How does my character do this? I, Brett, don't want to do this because I'm not a I'm not a singer. Don't make me sing. But my bard is a singer. Please let me roll. <clears throat> I just want to roll my performance skill. I don't want to freaking sing. And you don't want to hear me sing. It's not really good. But anyway, point being is that you're going to run into those other types of players. And just from a preparation perspective, be prepared to roll with that. Not talk. We don't have to talk about how to deal with problem players or anything like that right now. But the point is just be prepared. People are going to come with different expectations and ideas and try to give them at least bits and pieces of what they're looking for. Yeah. <laughs> now, let's. I'm going to flip the table on you. So right. we talked about GM perspective, and I think that's pretty cool. 
Now you play in a hell of a lot more cons than I do. When as a player, when you're going to a con and you signed up for a game, is there any prep work that you do yourself or anything that you think um, or if nothing else, just good advice for somebody? Do you only play games you know the rules for? Do you willingly jump into games you don't know? Oh, game prep for the player. Yeah. Ah, oh, we never think of the players unless we want to kill them. <laughs> They're player characters, not the players. Um, well, we've talked. We've talked about this we, before. We There's a time and place for everything. That's right. <laughs> so that's yeah. No, that's good. Um, so me when I when I play, there's I I bring. I I think what you need to bring as a player is very very simple. One's a set of dice. And if you happen to know the system that you're going to be playing and the types of dice that you need, then bring those dice. Um, if you need to, you know, if you bring all your dice because it encompasses everything, great. Like, you know, so um, if you're playing Dungeon Crawl Classics, it requires goofy dice, uh, seven sider, D5, D3. You know, if you don't have those because they're hard to find, totally get it. But if you have them, bring them. Um, you know, if you're playing Warhammer, which is not RPG by any means, but I mean, you got to have a butt ton of six siders mm-hmm. and like a ton, you know, a brick at least or two and, bricks and, and bring a pencil and a backup pencil. That would be handy. Pencil. Yes. Two pencils is not a bad idea. If you have an eraser, great. Two pencils just because you might run out of lead if you get a mechanical one. So that's a no brainer. Um, see what else? A pa- maybe a pad of paper. Right, if you want to yep. write stuff down. Now, the caveat to that is usually on your character sheet there'll be space to drop down something. You're not going to write a you know a huge journal when you're playing nope. a con game for four hours, but at least if you want to jot down an NPC's name, you can do that. Um, so, do, do you only play games that you know the rules to, mm-hmm. or if you're going to go play a game you've never played before, do you do homework about the new game? Say, hey, that DCC thing sounds really cool. I'm going to go download a brief something from Goodman Games and check out Dungeon Crawl, or I've never played Savage Worlds. Let's go over to Pinnacle and see what they say. So I, I don't think I've ever played a game at a... Oh, I have to back that up a second. So at Forge Midwest one year, I wanted to play Dungeon World, and I don't think I ever read the Dungeon World games. And... Uh, that was one of the few. So the other ones that I've never played, I actually have read. And that's what kind of leads me to want to play them. Now, okay. f- for me personally, I could care less. Like if somebody said, we're going to play Dogs in the Vineyard, and I've never played in that, and I know briefly what it's about, uh, I'd say, okay, fine. I got the time. I'm interested. It sounds in- interesting. And I would go there as a total noob, and ha- I wouldn't worry about it as a player because I – the GM, if they're decent, is going to ask everybody at the table, has anybody played this game? And if some, if people haven't, they'll say, no, well, kind of, sort of, once. You know, I've never played it, but I run it. So, you know, for my DCC game this past week, and I had a person that's running it, they very rarely get to play it. So he was the most experienced person at the table. Everybody else played it at least just maybe once, and then the rest, no, none of them had played it. And then I had an actual person at the table that's never played an RPG. Awesome. That's kind of cool, actually. It is kind of cool. But I go, hey, 
you know, her, her name happened to be Joyce and I go, great. I get to ruin your perspective on RPGs. I'll be the one to, you know, kick, get you like never to want to play again. So here's to, here's to the optimism that I'm about to go out on, on a limb, but no, I think she, she had a good time. And, but now having said that, when you get a different variety of players like that, your game dynamics going to change quite dramatically. Cause if you get everybody at the table that knows the system, um, you, you get to kind of power through things much quicker. If they don't, they're going to be looking at stuff up on the, you know, on the character sheet. Um, somebody may even be helping them. Um, and you're going to kind of have to take a second out to go, okay, and you know, what are you doing? And kind of coax them along. Um, so the dynamic is really going to be a lot different. And the funny thing is, is like, even with DCC, which is, I don't think overly complicated, but if you don't never have familiarity with it, even just wondering like what you roll, even it's on the sheet and interpreting that some people are just quicker at it than others. Yeah, you know, no, there's, there's math, there's math to be done. And sometimes it's pictographical math, you know, as far as like pictures of dice and with numbers by them or whatever it is. And if it's brand new to you and you look down at the character sheet and you go new, new, too much data, uh, this isn't a, uh, a role master sheet. I don't know where to find anything. Especially in a crunch moment, it, it, it can be, it, uh, again, some people are faster than others. Now, with this game that you ran, did you have it set, did the description indicate new players welcome or anything like that? Or Oh, that's a good point, too. Um, I think I said, uh, you know, all, all players welcome, you know. Because where I'm going from, to the player preparation perspective, if you're going to sign up for a game on a con, many of the cons that I've seen, I, I've been to, or the one uh, people have talked to me about them, they'll be like, hey, yeah, I'm running this game, and I made sure I listed it for only experienced players. Mm-hmm. I made sure I listed it saying some familiarity required. Um, so if you really do want to cut into something new, um, in my experience, at least in my, I should say my perspective, it behooves you to look for that game that, like Sean said, saying all comers allowed, new players fine, never played, we don't care. Something, use those terms when you're looking for your game to pick. So that way when you sit down, you're not bringing you don't feel like I just brought the whole game down. I just brought the whole group down because Sean's got five super experienced dudes and dumbass Brett showed up and he's never played Savage Worlds before. He's never played Dogs in the Vineyard. And now these guys have all got to explain it to him. Yeah. And they, they may be super cool and whatnot, but the other pieces, they're here to be entertained. It's part of their con experience. They signed up for an experienced players only game. You shouldn't. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to say it. You probably shouldn't be there if you're really not an experienced player. You know, well, yeah. You do yourself a favor. You're just you're not going. It's not that you're worried about hurting everybody else's feelings, whatever it is. But you just flat you are not going to have as much fun because you're not going to get it. Right. It's not designed for you. Well, right. And Michael has had you know. Oh, it's a Sesame Street game. Oh, kids playing that, and he he makes. So it he's very, very specifically said no children. Yeah. He's you know he spells that out, and if somebody shows up with their child and they're going to sit and play, he will pull the parent aside and say, "This is not for this is not a child's game. Um, it's the backdrop. He kind of makes it light and funny because it's you know Sesame Street, but the stuff that he puts in there and he describes is not something that you know Grover's typically going to do on an episode of Sesame Street. I assure you." Fair. Very rarely does Cookie Monster call forth the Augsothoth to destroy the world. <laughs> yeah. This does not happen. I don't even know if that happened. It wasn't there, but I'm just saying yeah. it probably doesn't happen. If you know Call of Cthulhu and you don't want your kids playing Call of Cthulhu, you do not want them playing Call of Cthulhu, whether it's Sesame Street or if it's um, 
you know, American Green or Delta Green or American <laughs> Horror. Right. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Cool. All right. I think generally speaking that I think we kind of covered it there, dude. There's, I mean, the key for one kind of coming down off the uh, lack of sleep and everything from the weekend. We don't have to drag this out any longer. We have to, but it was really one of the things I really liked about the stories I was hearing at Game Hole was I did not hear he wasn't prepared. She didn't know what she was doing. I didn't hear that from other people around me, just overhearing people talking about games that they were playing and stuff. I think that's really cool. And maybe I got really lucky and I just got a good subset. There could very well be Game Masters out there that you didn't like or whatever. But I, I think for me, the keys are as a, as a GM, you're going to pick something you know. And, maybe, and some of those people probably know anyway. But pick a system you're really comfortable with. Make sure that um, you understand the pacing, how to move things along. <clears throat> if it's a, an adventure you've run a number of times you're very comfortable with, it's a really good way to go because, hey, these are going to be new players. It's not the same group you've always had. It's going to be new to them, whether it's old to you or not. And you can also ease yourself through the pacing uh, pieces of it. And I do look at it as uh, I don't necessarily need the Michael level of uh, Sesame Street Entertainment production values, but I definitely want to try something to uh, help get people in, even if it's just really cool and sexy-looking character sheets with shields and bits of armor and swords and blood splatters on it for hit points. It's just just something that makes it neat yeah. from a presentation perspective. It doesn't have to be crazy. There's plenty of cool stuff out there you can you can steal, but I think that's cool. Yeah, one In one episode, I do want to talk about maybe down the road is what is the effects of GMing on the industry? And I've talked to you about this briefly and I had an idea and I don't have a problem throwing it on the podcast. And if somebody comes up um, and actually implements my idea, I great, good, good on them. But I, you know what I'm talking about, Brett is, you Frank actually Frank actually asked. He said somebody needs to make this. I thought Sean and I want to make that. Oh did he God. really bring that up? <laughs> yeah, he did. So what? Offhanded. I'll, I'll hint yeah. toward. I'll hint it towards it because Brett mentioned it. Is it when he says that he didn't hear a lot of people have negative feedback on a lot of the games that were run on the DMs and GMs that were running them. He touches on something that I brought up is the value of the GM and the DM or uh, the negativity that a bad one can it bring to the hobby. So for example, just hinting towards that, if you, like I said, I had a new person who'd never played role-playing games before. They were with somebody that had, and they sat at my table. Now, if I was a dickhead GM and killed their character and had a, they had a really crappy experience and I get frustrated with them, they may never ever play another RPG. So when I'm Alex and I want a convention, I want it to be successful. You also want good GMs to be there, but there's no method in place to be able to filter those out. And that's what I'm hinting at, right? I'll leave it right yep, there with that cliffhanger. Huh? Exactly. But I think that the, the, the main piece of it, just for folks out there, is that it is production low, right? You don't have to have big production levels, but it's entertainment high. It's a big, it's an entertainment thing. You're going there to have a good time. And whether you look at it this way or not, there are other people that do, is I paid $75 to get into this con for a weekend. I paid $50 in gaming tickets because I'm going to play until I'm cross-eyed. I'm just going to go, 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 and I want to have a good time. And if you don't honor the fact that these people were there, they paid good money. This is their hobby. This is what they're in here for. And they really want to have a good time playing this game, and you don't give a shit about that, and you just want to 
run it the way you think it ought to be run and damn their preconceived notions or whatever it is. I mean, you've got to meet people halfway and you have to be an amiable person and be able to work with them because it it is entertainment for them and they are paying for it. Not like the people in your home group. And I can say, you know what, Sean, you played with my crew. You don't like the way Lenny and I do this thing. You don't like the way somebody does this or whatever it is, or I play with you. I'm like, you know what? Doc seems really good, but I just don't like the way he plays his character or whatever the case. I've never played with Doc, so I have no idea. Just picking him because I I met him. Great guy, by the way. I loved him. But anyway, point is, is you could say, you know what, Brad, I guess it's not for you. Go find another group. You can have that discussion. At a con, you can't do that. You can't say, well, I guess this game isn't for you. You just lost your 2 to $4 or whatever it was. Go find another game. You, you can't do that. Mm. So it, it's a it's a big piece of it, and I, I really hope people take that to heart and do something with it because I think it's you owe it to the players and to the hobby itself. I really think you do. All right. So I think we need to move on to Die Roll. Die Roll, the segment of the episode where – Brett and I come up with 2D5 things we want to just mention briefly that uh, we're experiencing gaming geekery or what other uh, areas that come to interest. Brett? Um, I have just the two. The first one I mentioned already is the game whole time. I honestly can't uh, stress enough how incredibly cool that was. I'm definitely going next time. And um, one of the things I did was I wandered around to where the different games are being played. The Dungeon Bastard was there running a game. I watched Ed Greenwood running a game, how he set up, just looking at what kind of is standard for the for the groups, how they're setting up versus how I like to set up. It just, and listening to people, it was just, it's really cool. And um, so basically, long story short, I've already started doing some of my prep work for my uh, Star Frontiers game for next year. Oh, so seriously, I'm, Star Frontiers? Yeah, I'm going to do Star Frontiers. Oh, definitely. yeah, you'll get, you, you should, I hopefully, uh, if I don't know how Michael will do that, the dead gamer guy was right. If you do run something, I think you can earn a ring. So I think so. My, I mentioned to Michael, I said, I'm going to run Star Frontiers next year. He looked at me like, you must run Star Frontiers. Then he, then he shoved a beer in my hand and off I went. Yeah. But <laughs> there you go. And the other uh, last piece, I only have two today. I tell you, um, uh, gun season. I'm a hunter, as, as anybody who listens to this has no doubt heard. Gun nut. Um, no, I'm not. Well, a little bit. Not bad. Anyway, <laughs> point is, is uh, uh, my oldest boy, Connor, is coming up to Upper Michigan gun hunting with me. Um, <clears throat> not this coming week, but the week after we're going to be gone. And I want to make sure I got him out to the rifle range, get him shooting a little bit. And my youngest boy is uh, nine. And uh, so I took him out, and uh, he got to shoot the twenty two a little bit, and he had a blast with it. It was the first time he'd ever gotten to shoot a gun, so he thought that was great. It was a lot of fun. The people at the local rifle range here out where I live are really, are really nice. It's a free range. Everyone who shows up is really cool and just hang out, take our time, and it was a lot of fun. Good times. Excellent. So oh, I should. Well, I'm going to throw one more. I'm going to have my, my third out there. Oh. Uh, I got to say this: meeting Nick, talking to, uh, to Nick, one of our little fans there, yeah. who's uh, who's been so who's been so kind to us. That was really cool to have him come up and just say, "Hey, you're Brett. You you do that thing with Sean," and just to talk to me and uh, to hang out. It was that was really cool. I mean, Eric Frankhouse was there. I've, I've met Frankhouse before at Gen Con, and I actually had more time this time to spend with Frankhouse even and just shoot the shit and have a beer or two and just talk um, DM theory and concepts and stuff. I mean, that that piece of it, the very personal experiences that I had, meeting people in person that I normally only talk to online, that was that was uber cool. That's what it's all about, baby. Exactly. I'm done. You're up. All right. So one of them I have is on the buildingblog.blogspot.com. And building is uh, abbreviated BLDG. 
So bldgblog.blogspot.com. I, I came across this. I think one of the folks had posted in my stream how it could be used and adapted for gaming. So what it is is the uh, it's partly digital. It's a digital, partly digital sand table interface. So think of a sand table like the old days that Gary had in his basement where they played miniatures. So basically it's a box, right? It's literally a sandbox. So back in the day what they would cool. what they would do is they would use a sandbox and they would just move the sand and what have you and they would put down different um, props within the sandbox. So every time they played they could have a different landscape of terrain for their miniatures. Well, this one I, th- I found, and I'll put the link in the show notes, so check it out. Um, basically, what you do is it's, I think it's projected down into the sandbox, and it's got contour lines, and based on the contour lines, colorizes the map and the terrain. And then what you can do is you put your hands in there, and you can shape it because it's connected by a connect sensor, like the same connect, it's repurposed uh, connect sensor um, that's, you know, popular on xboxes and you could mold new transformations and forms within the sandbox by just moving your hands around as if it were like I a just, virtual sand I just went to I just went to the website that looks really cool dude yeah uh, the pictures are awesome yeah so you could like take your hands and you could bring them together right and it would make that rise like a hill and it's all digital, so it's not like something is really there. But I mean, if you were playing a miniature war game, or if you wanted to do sense, uh, like you know, Pathfinder D and D miniatures, um, you could do like terrain that way. And I mean, you could have it different all the time. But go ahead and check that out. Um, I, I can only say so many words about it before you you know read it yourself. And then my second one is um, gaming paper erasable. Now I, I typically I'm kind of reluctant to. You know, mention any Kickstarters because, uh, you know, you find out on your own whether you like them or not or if the people putting them on have had successful ones or not in the past. But this one's got 22 days uh, to go as of Sunday while we're recording this on November 9th. But 22 days to go. Um, They've already gone over their goal, and it's uh, gaming paper is pretty well known out there. You can get it in rolls and grid and hex. And they're trying to put out in a re- erasable version. Um, See, this makes me this makes me want to buy it. The other version, I'm like, eh, it's one use. I don't want it. This looks cool, right? So now you buy this, um, and I'm not quite. I didn't look at the video necessarily, but um, so think of like a grid. You know, we've got the play mats that you can get the Chessex vinyl play mats that you roll out. Um, this is a little bit different. You can use uh, dry erase markers, pretty much uh, with a um, you know, it's gridded. It's got some like different erase dry erase, and some of those Chessex. I mean, you got to have water and you got to have. Uh, paper towel and it just gets all over your fingers and so this may be something that it's just another option whether it's good better worse whether you like it don't like it you know check it out it's just another option of putting something down on the table for like types of miniature tactical play in your rpgs if you're a fan of that um i have not kicked in on the kickstarter i probably won't but i thought you know somebody else may want to check it out um and there's plenty of time to to get in on that Cool, very neat looking. Yeah. So I think that's about it for 
for this episode. Yes, this is the uh, game convention game prep and uh, post game lag. <laughs> not nearly as not nearly as witty as we normally are, probably, but uh, it's all right. Yeah. So, signing off with episode nine from Gaming and BS. Thanks for listening. I'm one of your co-hosts, Sean, and I'm Brett. Good night and good gaming, folks. <laughs>